Ladies and gentlemen, it is my absolute and extreme pleasure to introduce another episode of The Paul Leslie Hour. Today's episode features an interview with author Harris Glasser. Harris is the man who teaches us how to squeeze the most out of our orange. Yeah, well, that's a Florida thing. We all have this idea that we need more money, but what Harris Glasser believes is even more important. It's to make the best use of the money we have. What if we could spend a little less than we make? For those who have debt collectors calling and writing constantly, how do we relieve that pressure? Harris decided he was going to do something about it, and he wrote his book, It's my money, and I want it. Hey, before we bring out Harris, it's time to mention one, one little thing. Speaking of squeezing that last penny out, the Paul Leslie Hour continues to operate thanks to people. People just like you. So go to support. Pull the lever. That's the one with the penny on it. And thanks to everyone who's contributing. Now, are you ready to learn and earn with Harris? Harris Glasser, let's start this show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a great pleasure to welcome our good friend Harris. Thank you so much for joining us. Everyone can check out his website while we're talking. It's harrishelps.org. So my first question. Yes. Who is Harris? Harris. Harris is a, uh, is a man 70 years old and 20 years of age. His dad lent him a few dollars, went into business bidding construction contracts for these small city agencies. And at the age of 28, he was pretty much a done deed. Semi-retired, traveled, hung out a little bit, started a, uh, an interesting uh, indoor farming business with my wife which was successful, upstate New York. We sold that, traveled a little more, wound up in Florida, did the same thing there, sold that. And then by then, my two sons were old enough. We started a car rental business with no cars. Well, not no cars, four cars. And after a couple of years, we had an 80-car fleet. Seven years later, we sold it, traveled a little, and went back on a small scale of you know, contracting for the city of New York. The reason I called you just Harris is because of the website, harrishelps.org, and you are one of these guys, you're kind of uh, a little bit informal. Your name is Harris Glasser, but right. your website, harrishelps.org, and when we've talked on the phone, you've just said, it's Harris, which is nice. Yes. Yeah, it's, <laughs> everyone should be a real people. <laughs> We're all the same. We all go through the same stuff. Well, tell us a little bit about how you and I connected. It's kind of a cool story. The Great Joe Franklin. Oh, Great Joe Franklin. It was interesting. How Joe and I connected was interesting. Uh, we're friends quite a few years. My son, who's a, uh, a professional model, was on a shoot and uh, you know with another model, and they got to be talking, and he knew a uh, someone who was a professor at a college, and my son was doing some work with the colleges, lecturing and stuff. So. He introduced them. My son mentioned my dad wrote a book and has appeared on many, many radio shows. And 
this college professor said, gee, a very good friend of mine is Mr. Joe Franklin himself. He said, Joe would love to meet your dad. That was a number of years ago. Joe and I met. We've been friends ever since. The fact is, Joe is funny. If I don't call him every day at 530, he goes, hey, kid, what, you forget about me? (laughs) (laughs) He's amazing. Indeed. A moment ago, you mentioned the book that you wrote, and it's called It's My Money and I Want It. What inspired you to write that book? Well, funny thing. Every day I would come home and from work with packages and stuff, my wife would say, what'd you get me? What'd you get me? And after a while, I'd say to her, you know, enough of this. I go, don't you ever think of giving? She said, sure. What are you going to give me? What are you going to give me? (laughs) So I chuckled and I said, why do you think like that? And she said, because it's my money and I want it. (laughs) And so we got the title of the book. Actually, the thing that spurred the book itself, that was the title, was most of my life I didn't have health insurance, uh, Paul. I was pretty healthy and didn't see a need. And a few years uh, before Medicare would come in, I I decided to get a policy and my... uh, Accountant asked me, Harris, why Why now? I said, well, you know, it's a good bet. I'll pay a couple of years premiums. I'll have millions of dollars in coverage. And after a short time, I submitted a small thing. And they didn't pay me, even though they said they would, because I wasn't familiar. And all of a sudden, I became aware that health insurance companies, they did not like insurance companies. You have a fire and you get paid for your damages. Your car is stolen and they pay you. Health insurance companies look for reasons not to pay you. So my broker, who had set me up, said, you know, look, I feel bad. You're tired to get paid. I'll, I'll get you. I'll have you reimbursed out of my own pocket. I said, no, no, no. I'll get them to pay me. She says, how do you do that? Appeal? I said, no, no. I have my own ways. Sure enough, you know, didn't take much. Had them pay me. And then I said, you know, I started seeing what they're doing to people. I said, this stops now. And so I wrote the book. And one of the chapters is how to collect from health insurance companies when they deny your claim without being sucked into the vortex of appeals. So, Paul, that's how that started. There's a couple of other things along the way that was interesting. Let me ask you a question. Sure. Okay. When I uh, first got married, my dad lent me money. I said, how much money do I have to make? How much do I have to have to be rich? Dad, how much do I have to have to be rich? So I'll ask you, Paul, how much money do you think you have to make to be rich? My goodness, it depends on where you are. Okay. It depends on what your standard of living is, I guess. Okay. I mean, to me, it doesn't take a lot. Right. But to a lot of other people, they have an idea of, oh, a million dollars a year or whatever. Well, my dad answered me, very interesting answer. I said, how much do I have to make? I have to be rich. He said, Harris, if you always spend a dollar less than you earn, You'll always be rich, hmm. and if you always and if you always spend a dollar more than you earn, no matter how much you earn, you're always going to be poor. So with that, I set off in business and in life. I was just getting married too at the time. It was uh, I combined that with a something a high school teacher once said to me. He said, uh, "Harris, one day you're going to be very successful." I said, "Why?" He said, "Because lazy people find the best and easiest ways to do things." <laughs> <laughs> so the truth is I wasn't lazy, but I combined finding the best and easiest ways to do things with always spending a dollar less than I earned. And I wound up living a life of what a friend of mine once said. He said, you live better than a very wealthy. 
because I never appeared to be working much but living very comfortably. Hmm. So, yeah, so that uh, when I was on Bloomberg uh, Radio, Tim Fox termed me the man who teaches us how to squeeze the most out of our orange. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, people think everyone wants to earn more money, more money. Everyone needs more money. But what no one realizes is the amount you're earning now, you can just keep doing what you're doing, yet you do things slightly different, little adjustments, not in doing less, but the way you do the things, and you can actually have an excess of money left over every week, every month from your income, and you don't even realize you've been fighting to meet bills and make ends meet, have a few dollars, and all the time it's sitting there. And an economics professor once said to me, he says, Harris, he says, that's called consumer excess, and people don't know they have it. They're always struggling. Hmm. So that's what I teach in the book. Well, on that note, what would you say is the best advice to anyone who feels like they're drowning? They just feel like it's just coming at them from all angles. Okay, so if you're talking about actually people, we're not talking health, right? Right. Uh, although, you know, we could talk, us have some amazing stories on that and a life of that. If we're t- naturally, we're talking finances. So we're talking about debt. People are drowning, which has to mean they have collection companies coming after them. Right? I mean, I just want to make sure, right, we're on the same page? Right. Okay. People with collection companies, you know, and anything, by the way, I talked to you about, Mm -hmm. I've done with people. There isn't anything I talk about that I haven't done. You know, if if I'm talking about it, it's coming from 50 years of experience and everything I say works. Right. First thing people have to do is they have to get the pressure off. They have letters and calls from collection companies, and usually they don't want to pick up the phone, right? They see it's a collection company. Right. Right. They're scared. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, number one, we have to realize in this country, you don't go to jail for owning money. Right. Right? There's no debtor's prison. Not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. Right. <laughs> Maybe some of our bankers should be in prison. But anyway, moving on. So now that person that's calling you from those collection companies, and I've helped people who've had a dozen collection companies after them, right? Isn't the sheriff, it's not the city marshal, it's not a government agency, no one is coming to lock you up. Right. So it's okay to pick up the phone, okay? Next, you have to realize that person calling you is just someone with a job. Someone opened up a collection company and, you know, filed their corporate name or whatever, you know, license they need, and they wrote out scripts, and they hired People, usually people they hire are like models or actors or anyone who needs a job that can come and go from. And they have a script. And that's who you're talking to. Hmm. So I advise people. And I had one woman, she, you say hopeless, the radio host said to me, this lady holds in and she's living on antidepressants and is suicidal from all the collection companies coming after her. So I explained to her that you don't go to jail. And then I moved on to... Don't avoid the phone and what you don't, well, they're just going to keep calling you. What you really want to do is run them right out of town. It's basically someone in your company you owe money that's hired a, uh, a gunslinger to come after you. And you want to run that gunslinger out of town. And it's very simple. In the book, I give numerous ways. I'll give you one, Paul. Here's for instance, 
pick up the phone. Are you so-and-so? Yes. And you know your money? Yes. And you know you have to pay it? Yes. So, you know, are you going to pay it? No, I don't have money. Well, you have to. And you let them go on and on. You just, you don't get caught emotionally. You don't defend. You just keep yesing. And then you say, I mean, <laughs> I saw one fellow, they tried to lay, it was a woman, they tried to lay a trip on her. Well, don't you feel guilty not paying? <laughs> right? I mean, they, they try all kinds of things. So I said, here's what you do. I, in the book I mentioned, and I've actually done this with people making believe I was them on the phone to give them an example. And I said to one gentleman from San Diego, I said, I'm going to do the first one. You listen, you do the next 10. Okay, and he was a good student, he did. So I said, look, after I let them talk and talk, the collection person, I said, tell you what. By the way, they're collection companies, not collection agencies. When they hear the word agency, it sounds like an official government thing. <laughs> it's not. Right? right. I said, tell you what, to the person, the collection person, you're terrific at talking, and I'm talk terrific at listening. Now, what I don't want to do is be rude and hang up on you. That would be terrible. You're just trying to do your job. But I'm very busy. I have a lot of chores. I have things to do. The first thing is I have a, a kitchen full of dishes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you on speakerphone, and you keep talking, and I'll do my dishes. And then anytime you want me, yell out my name, and I'll come back, you know? And then I'll go back to my chores. And you keep talking, and I'll keep listening. It's fine. And if you get tired of talking, not a problem. Call me back tomorrow. I'll put you back on speakerphone. You can keep talking. I'll keep doing my chores. <laughs> They run. This person said, I have better things, more things, all the people to go after than you. Okay. But, you know, and they just hung up the phone, never called back again. I give numerous ways to, and they leave you alone because you see, they want to suck you into, they want to feel pressure you. They want you, they want to make you feel like you're drowning. Right. And no, yeah, yeah. I'll give you one more, another one. There's tons of, tons of them in that chapter in the book. You say to them, look, evidently I don't have money. Otherwise I pay you. We're assuming it's a legitimate debt that someone isn't trying to scam you, okay? So I don't have a job. That's why I can't pay. You have a job. Why don't you do this? Tell me how you got your job, and then maybe I can get the same one. That way you don't have to bother calling me. I'll call me, and you're free to call other people. (laughs) And this, this woman who was suicidal on antidepressants was laughing at the end, and I assumed that she realized it's not so bad. And the book goes on, other chapters now, how to start straightening out all that debt and stuff. But that's, when you're drowning, you got them coming after you, not a problem. You can have fun with it, and they will leave you alone. Everyone who's listening, they can visit the website. It's harrishelps.org. We're talking with Harris about finance, about debt. I wanted to kind of go in a positive direction here. If someone's going into business for themselves, what's the best advice you can give someone? Okay. is really, 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 and I speak from experience, examine and find out the experience of that business you want to go into. You see, everyone has this, not everyone, many people have an idea. I want to go into business. I want to be in my own business. First of all, not everyone's cut out for it. Number two, I've been in this business my whole life. And because I didn't properly investigate, although it was successful, right, by not properly investigating, doing my due diligence, I wound up in a business that I beyond disliked. Every day I opened the door, I was like, oh, God, no. What was it? It was the car rental business. I mentioned it because uh, earlier I started with four cars with my sons, and within a less than two years, a year and a half, we had 80 cars. But you see what I didn't realize, Paul, was this. 
The last thing I ever wanted to do was go into a retail business. I was used to being a contractor for the city, having a, uh, a wholesale indoor farming business. Never retail, didn't want that. And I didn't realize that car rental, daily car rentals, is the epitome of retail. You're there seven days a week, and you're dealing with every car. Uh, the car is not something that they want. It's just a means that they need to get on to where they need to go. Right? So you are annoying to them. This is a nuisance. This is an expense that they have to have. It's not like they're coming into my ice cream cone. It was because I didn't do my due diligence. So I would say to people, the business you want to go into, evidently you're familiar. You're not picking it, you know, like throwing a dart on a board. Speak to the owners. Ask of them, what is the day-to-day experience? What, not what do you like about it? Because that's easy. Tell me what you like about it. Tell me what you don't like about it. Tell me about the negativities. That's what I want to hear. And that's what I mean by doing your diligence. Because then you may decide, you know, this is not really for me. Or you may decide it is. But just don't say, hey, that looks like a nice business. You know, I'll work, at, you know, work for someone a little bit and I'll go do it. No, 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 not at all. We talked about it earlier. You said... Everyone, you can spend a dollar less and kind of use that mindset. What is one thing anyone can do, whether they're in a good financial situation or a bad financial situation? What's something anyone can do to help their finances? Okay. First thing, whatever you go to do, is uh, it's interesting. If you need to get something done, always get three estimates. A quick story is some people I know who had bought the book heard noises in the attic of their house one night. They were really nutsy. They were up all night. It sounded like rodents and stuff. The next morning, they called the exterminator, and the exterminator said, wow, you have a bad problem. Those $1,200. What the heck? They were about to do it. The wife was about to take out the credit card when the husband said, no, I know what Harris would do. He read the book. Well, they went ahead and got another two estimates. You're not going to... This story's in the book, right? You know what happened? How much they got it done for? What's the guy your... came? Thirty-two dollars <laughs> versus twelve hundred. So what I'm saying is, uh, my own nephew with my computer on Norton. I have Norton as a uh, you know a safe. You know they protect your computer viruses and stuff. And it was time to be renewed. It was one hundred thirty some odd dollars. And my nephew said to me, "Yeah, Uncle Harris, let me do this for you." And he went in and he went into the site a different way and then got it down to eighty dollars. And then he went in and searched for coupon stuff. How about I tell you this $130 item cost me $35. That was $100 left more in my checkbook. So what I'm saying is the advice to everyone is just don't assume that you have to pay that amount. A woman I know rented a car. Four months, weeks later, she got a bill saying, hey, you know, we checked the car. The next day, there was a little thing, that crack in the windshield. Would you like us to charge a card or give us a new card? It was 500 some odd dollars. I happened to be, she was a secretary in an office I was in. She says, what would you do? And I said, here. She says, no, I'm not going to fight with big corporations. I said, I'm not telling you to fight. I'm telling you to write this simple little email. She wrote it. When I was in the office about a week later, she had a big smile. They sent them back a thing. Oh, we're sorry for the inconvenience we have caused you. There's no charge, and please come back as a customer. What I'm saying, Paul, is don't assume that you have to pay. You get a hospital bill. You don't have insurance. It's $10,000 for the night, right? They tend to charge those rates right. <laughs> for whatever they do. And you think because it's a hospital 
that you have to pay it. No, if you brought your car into a garage, Paul, and you said there's noise in the engine, can you fix this? And they fixed it, and they came. You came back three days later. They handed you a bill. All it said is balance due, thirteen hundred forty dollars. Would you pay it, or would you ask them what they did? You'd ask. Right. The fact is, you'd want to even see the parts that they replaced. Right. Well, you get a hospital bill for thousands and thousands of dollars, right? And they have all these codes listed, right? So much for this, so much for that, on and on, right? Well, if you question them, like I showed people to question. For instance, they had a, we went down the codes. It was a bill that was actually $2,500 that I got reduced down to the people for $1,000 to $1,000. And they had items like a, an MRS, MRS, $18. Ask the person, what's an MRS at the hospital? Oh, that's a mucus recovery system. <laughs> wow, that sounds terrific. What's a mucus recovery system, $18? Well, it turns out to be a box of tissues. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's on you. I'll bring you a box of tissues. Next was an AIS. That was $12. What's that? Anti-inflammatory system. What is that? Turns out a bag of ice for $12. No. By the time I helped this person getting through the bill, the bill got reduced from 2500 to 1000 Again, it's everything I say. Get estimates. Question. Don't accept that you necessarily owe the money. This is in everything. Another woman having trouble with her cell phone. They have five cell phones in their family. She called up complaining. She says, I don't want to do this contract anymore. They said, you're in a contract. You have to keep it. She said, well, she had read the book. <laughs> she said, well... Yes, but the contract is you have to provide me good service. No, I want a supervisor. You're doing something. You know what she got? They did something. $75 a month, every month, credit off the bill. $900 left in her checkbook without earning more money. Squeezing more juice out of the orange. I can go on all day with stories that people write me. Everyone can check out the website. It's harrishelps.org. And for my last question, yes. it's very open-ended for anyone who's listening to our interview. What would you like to say to those people? <laughs> That's a great one. All these things I'm mentioning, calling the hospital, standing up, you know, standing up to the health insurance company, they denied your claims and you think, well, they always paid you partially. No, you should get paid the whole thing. They always find a reason not to pay you. On and on. Standing up for yourself. And most people say, oh, gee, I can't do that. I this. You know, I don't know. You know, maybe Harris, you're different. You can. And the one thing I'd say is a great quote, and it's by Henry Ford. Whether you think you can... Or do you think you can't? Either way, you're right. Wow. Very good. Well, Mr. Glasser, or as you like to be called, Harris, thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure to have this interview. It's been wonderful. And people, you can. Just think you can. Make the calls. Question the bills. Stand up for yourself. And you'll be surprised how much more money you have left in your checkbook without earning more money. And you, you'll have a, a great time knowing wow. It's a great thing you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Paul. A pleasure. All right. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, The Entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. 
Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.